Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Episode 18 of the Fan Engagement Pod is a special edition, a chat with the former chair of the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee and still a member, Damien Collins MP, who represents Folkestone and Hythe. This focuses on the current funding crisis in English football following the cancellation of the return of fans to Stadia. We chatted about why it's absolutely critical to the entire future of the EFL and the wider pyramid that government works out a plan with the rest of football, including providing funding itself to protect clubs that are not just vital community assets, but also providers of local support and services to their populations. One thing anyone listening who lives in a constituency with a club in it can do is to contact your MP directly and ask them to support the letter and the campaign or speak with Damien. Just type they work for you in your search engine and you'll find the website with all your MP's contact details on it. We do also spend a bit of time at the end chatting about fan engagement more generally, something Damien is very well experienced in having been involved in investigations into football governance and fan representation from almost the moment he entered Parliament and became involved in the Select Committee back in 2010. You can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join and you can also download other episodes of the Fan Engagement Pod via your favourite podcast app. Um, Damien, thanks for, for joining me on the Fan Engagement Pod. I don't normally do um, two episodes in a week but um, it struck me when I was reading um, what was going on and like everyone else um, uh, wondering how this might be resolved, it just struck me that it might be a good idea to actually speak to the person who I understand coordinated this this letter and has been pressing to try to get this issue resolved. So can you just, it sounds like a simplistic question perhaps, but can you just explain a little bit about what this is about? Because it isn't just straightforwardly um, that the Premier League need to put their hands in their pockets and save football. This is much more... Um, complex. It's much more about the issue of sport as a public good, as a cultural asset, and all those sorts of things. So, just, just give us a little rundown, please, if you could. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, well, football. You're right. Football is uh, a cultural activity. You know, it is at the heart. Football clubs are at the heart of their communities. What coronavirus has demonstrated is that certainly for clubs in League One and League Two and below, they are nothing without the fan engagement. Without people coming to see them play, there isn't a football club. And that's what makes the current situation so dangerous for clubs because they've got no revenue. There's no prospect in the next six months of any revenue, yet they are contracted to pay players at their full rate. um, And they require staff to run their training facilities and their match day operations and so on. For clubs at all levels, playing a game with no fans present is is a cost. Um, And for clubs in the Premier League and for some clubs in the Championship, it doesn't matter quite so much because the broadcasting money is more important. You know, the, the Premier League will go bust if people weren't watching on television. It won't go bust because no one's in the grounds. But in League One and League Two, they will go bust if they're getting their income from, from their match day. And we've known about this for a long time. I wrote to the government in May. Uh, the letter I wrote and published this week, um, and, co- and as you say, coordinated the letter, 
um, was really a follow-up to that. Uh, and in May, we warned that there would be a crisis that clubs would run out of cash, um, that they rely on match day income to keep going, that many clubs were already very financially distressed before COVID and therefore don't have reserves to draw on. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. And some of it's that clubs, many clubs are not very well run um, and, and their owners are not, are not very good and they take too big a risks and they spend money they don't have. But nevertheless, the victims will be the communities, not the owners. It'll be the communities who lose their clubs and, and that important cultural asset. Now, the government has made over one and a half billion pounds available to support uh, culture and the arts, uh, regional theatre, music venues and so on. And that's absolutely right. And they've done it because, like football grounds, those venues can't operate because um, COVID won't let people come in in any kind of numbers and watch the performances. But we want those assets to be there in the future. We don't want to lose those buildings and that, and that social infrastructure around culture. We want it to carry on. Now, I believe the same is, same is true of football, that the communities where they have football clubs want those clubs to carry on. And at the moment, it's not at all clear how they are going to be able to. Now, the government's prepared to help other sports. It's helped Rugby League with a bailout. It's now said it'll help clubs in the National League. Um, and we now then turn to the Football League. The Premier League itself doesn't need a, a bailout, but it, ha is, you know, it has taken a huge financial hit because of coronavirus already in lost match, match day income and also in, um, in declining broadcasting rates uh, and fees and the concern that they'll be hit again on broadcasting uh, rates in the, in the new year because um, football without fans is not quite the same spectacle, both for the fans and also for people watching on television. Um, so there is this question then of who should be responsible for funding an EFL bailout. The government has asked the Premier League to, to look at this and take responsibility for this. I think it's right that the Premier League should put some money in. Uh, I think they can afford to put some money in. And for clubs in Leagues 1 and Leagues 2, it wouldn't require, I don't think, very much. It'd be in the tens of millions rather than the hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, but the Premier League clearly uh, don't agree that they should, or can't agree amongst themselves, how much they should put in, or whether it should be their sole responsibility. Um, and therefore, I think it, what the government has to do now is get everyone together, to get the Fo Football Association, who I think also, I'm sure, could put something in to help some of these clubs, um, with the Football League and the Premier League to say, how much is needed? Where's that money going to come from? How will it be distributed? And we need a plan this week because, uh, because things are that desperate. And that may require, in order to get that deal done, the government offering some financial support itself. And that could be through money. It could be through loans. It could be through other measures that uh, the government could do to help clubs with tax debts uh, or to help with loan financing guarantees or whatever it would take. And then I think we could, get, we could get a deal in place. At the moment, there's a standoff and nothing's being done. And I think that's so dangerous now because there are chairmen of EFL clubs who are, have already made contingency plans for what they would do to shut down, um, who, have, who are looking at how you could keep the minimum number of people there uh, in order to try and save the club. Um, with the prospect of no income over the next six months, and yet players they've got to pay uh, and other obligations that they have, they may decide that rather than just sit there and bleed to death, uh, that they will, they will mothball the club and stop playing. Uh, other clubs may do the, do the same thing. We may even see then, you know, certainly Leagues 1 and Leagues 2, the end of uh, competition until this is resolved. And I think that's the very real danger. I think people are going to have to start making those decisions very soon. It's been put to me that um, um, there are clubs, there are many clubs in, the, in that situation, and that, that we could see clubs, you know, in the next even the next week or two, going public about the fact they're going to go into administration and not being able to carry on. 
So the clubs need to know where they stand. They need to know if there's going to be a bailout and where it's going to come from. Um, I think fans have a right to know who's going to support their clubs in the community. And I think we should be looking at protecting football as a cultural asset. And there is something odd about, you know, that, that we can be very quick to support other sports, other sectors like the cult cultural sector with very large amounts of money. But in football, people aren't prepared to make the same decision. I mean, we don't, um, in, with regional theatre, we, someone could have made the case to say, well, Netflix has done very well out of lockdown because more people have subscribed and stayed at home and watched um, Netflix shows. Uh, and Netflix benefits from the actors who are trained in regional theatre in the UK. Shouldn't Netflix be bailing out regional theatre? They've got the money. Or shouldn't Amazon be bailing out the high street because they've had a great boom in online sales because of COVID? No one would make those arguments. But in football, there seems to be an argument that says because the Premier League has got a lot of money, it should be entirely their responsibility to bail out the next three divisions down, um, whatever consequences come of that. And I think not unreasonably, the, the Premier League is saying, well, we don't entirely know how things stand for us either. And therefore, we're reluctant to do it. And that reluctance at the moment has led to nothing happening. And the absence of a plan, I think, is the biggest danger at the moment because clubs could pull up the shutters because um, they've got no confidence that there's any support out there to keep them going. So the um, you just you mentioned the National League. Um, see, it seems as though there's some kind of deal in the in the um, in the pipeline. Mike Tattersall was quoted saying that something's something something's coming. It's going to. It looks like something's going to happen. Is that do you, do you take that as a positive sign that that's the beginning of getting this issue resolved, or is that not because of the complication of the Premier League in all of this and 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 their need to be probably part of the solution and I don't think anyone would say they shouldn't be part of the solution it's how much the solution do you see that the that that the, the, the resolution to this is coming down the road or is it still really important that pressure's applied um I think it's still important pressure's applied I think with the reason we've seen um what looks like a, a, a sort of bailout deal for the National League is because um, I think people realize that if the National League starts its season um they're then the clubs are contracted to pay their players in full and therefore starting is very significant. You can't just start and stop. Um, and the clubs, there was probably a real danger that clubs would say, well, we're not going to start because we can't, we can't commit to, the, to paying people with money we haven't got and aren't going to get. Um, and so I think that forced the issue. But it's in, what's interesting to see is enforcing the issue, the government came in uh, to help. And I think what may happen in the Football League is if there's no agreement between the government and the Premier League over where financial support should come from, is this will be driven by events. It'll either be driven by some sort of revolt amongst the EFL clubs, where they will say, well, look, we're not going to carry on playing in, these situ in this situation and enough of them will stop to make the competition unviable. Um, or it'll come as a series of clubs go public and fail. And the outcry from that really requires someone coming in to, um, to support those clubs and bail them out. I think down the line, and this is what I called for in the, earlier in the summer, is that whilst I want to see a rescue package for these clubs, I think that rescue package should be tied to um, a reform of football finance so that not only in bailing, in bailing out these clubs, we're getting them out of a short-term problem to save them for, principally to save them for the community. Um, but that when they come out the other side, that they are restructured, there's better oversight of how they spend money, better, better control and regulation to make sure clubs don't overspend and owners don't make uh, promises about investment that they then don't fulfil. Um, and that we could have a lasting reform of football finance to put clubs in a more sustainable position. It's difficult to plan for a year without fans, which is effectively what they've you know, been asked to do. Um, that's an extreme situation. But, you know, if we're honest, a number of these clubs were teetering on the brink anyway. And there's, you know, it shouldn't be like that. And they've got away with it because 
no one keeps close enough tabs on what's going on. And therefore that sort of financial reform, I hope, is something that uh, comes as a result of uh, this crisis. So you could perhaps sum that, that second part of it up as don't waste a good crisis, as I think someone has recently been quoted as saying on several, and, you know, in several cases, there's lots of opportunity here to, to improve um, the way that football um, runs itself uh, and get and kind of I suppose you know that's not the area that I specialize in in this podcast but it's something that I used to do a lot with and, and certainly spoke about with you on a number of occasions in my old job of, of making clubs more but I suppose in some senses getting them out of that spiral because in many senses where we are um, is we're sort of clubs have been operating as normal up until March because that was the world they were operating in um, and what's happened is is that something's come along and completely knocked them off um, the cycle they're normally in, regardless of whether you agree with it or not. That's the cycle they were in, which is that the, the, the season was running as normal. Fans were coming through the through the gate, whether or not you agreed with the particular finan- particular financials of it all. Clubs were managing to get through seasons. This has really brought a massive. Um, it's it's a completely. Well, I mean, curveball doesn't do it justice as a term, does it? And that that's the justification, which I think everyone can probably see for saying government needs to be involved in the solution, because in the end, this is about the principle of what a club is meant to be. And, and, and as you said, these are cultural assets as well. And, and they're, they're also, they've been, they delivered um, to some extent, have over the last sort of 20 years delivered social policy and public policy they've 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 been delivering services locally to people so i can see this is a this is a very uh, you know when it comes to making the argument as to why government needs to be involved in bailing them out and supporting them through this period is they're not simply um a failing private business or even a you know a private business full stop and actually when we talk about cultural assets and community football clubs, these thing, this, this does actually mean something. And that's, that's hopefully where your argument has, has great power, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, if you think of, um, you know, football clubs, uh, you know, larger football clubs will have community foundations, um, which do a huge amount of good work in the community. Uh, they will have their youth academy and the teams that run out of that. A whole ecosystem of then of other sort of grassroots football clubs that, are, that really are there to feed players into uh, those academies, um, you take away the club and all that, and that, that infrastructure around the club goes as well, as well as the the, the businesses, the you know the, the the pubs and the chip shops and uh, people, other people whose business is really based around match day that the clubs themselves don't make it, make, make money out of, but other people uh, make money out of the match day being there. So all of that goes um, along with the sort of you know the whole cultural experience of of football and fo- the football league. And uh, what that means to to communities, and you know, I think the big clubs will survive this. You know, but it'll be the smaller clubs in the smaller towns that the ones that bear the brunt. And you know, there needs to be a, a plan. I mean, I think the last year when I was um, looking at the, the uh, what had happened at Berry Football Club, you, you can see that what happened there was very avoidable. It, it happened because people let it happen. You know, people allowed a system to exist where. There wasn't much oversight of who acquired clubs. The owner hadn't passed any kind of fit and proper person test. He'd not demonstrated proof of funds. The club had been run for several years, spending way more than it, 
the, the, the league's rules said it should have been spending on, on players' salaries, and it was heading for disaster. And then when that happens and people say, well, what can be done? And they realize that actually the system has failed and there's nothing that anyone's going to do uh, to solve the problem. Um, it's too late for the Football League to do anything about it and no one else, no one else will help. Um, I think this culture has encouraged the wrong sort of people often into run clubs. You don't, don't see so much now the sort of local businessman for whom owning and investing in the club that uh, is at the heart of his town and um, probably a club that he supported all his life is something he does out of a form of local philanthropy and personal interest. Um, you don't tend to see so many of those owners anymore. And I think that's in part because of the high risks that come with owning a football club. Uh, that's competing against other clubs that are out that they're overspending um, and I think if we got football finances on a, on a more sustainable footing it would not only be better for the community but I think we would attract better owners who wouldn't see you know um, uh, owning a football club as a one-way bet to financial oblivion but would see it as something good that they can give back. Right so is there anything um, I mean I'm sure fans do feel quite helpless themselves at the moment um, uh, just the sheer fact that they can't go to a game is, is frustrating enough. But being being an observer of what's going on and the potential threat to, to clubs for, from from the financial problems they've got at the moment, is there anything that that they can actually do? Is it worth them contacting their MPs directly and saying, please, um, please support this because it's really important for 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 the club that your constituency is in. Um, you know, football is an incredibly important cultural thing as much as it is something that I love going to watch. Is there anything that fans can do, anything that people can do to support what you're doing, Daniel? Yeah, I think fans, you know, I think are and should make their views known to their local MP. And the key thing is we, uh, we need a plan. You know, we just need, we need to know what the plan is. That um, if a club requires assistance, where can it go to get it? How much will be available? Who, who, who is there to help it? Because at the moment, we don't know any of that and clubs, I think, will start disappearing as a consequence. So if people don't want to see that happen, I think they've got to, got to ask the question, well, who's, who's going to help? And ultimately, I think because these are cultural assets, they're part of the community, you know, the government has to be able to answer that question, not just leave it to the football authorities to do it. Right, look, thanks for that. I want Now, I wanted to um, just move over quickly into... Um, the more general subject that we usually cover in the podcast, because I think you've got things to say about that as well as as, as what you came on to talk about first. Um, now, obviously, um, you you came in just for people who aren't totally aware. Um, you were part of the 2010 intake. Um, you became MP for folks. Is it folks and Hyde? No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Folks and Hyde in 2010. Um, and the reason I I know you or I have known you in my old role was because of obviously my role doing policy, but you became um, very quite, quite rapidly appeared as someone who um, now I'm, these are my words and I think I'm probably not far off. I, I, I feel like you, you looked at football and went, there's something that doesn't seem to quite work here. And I think it's something that um, isn't just bad for the, for the game itself, but actually for fans, it's sort of not fair on them because it's not, and I don't think it's just about um, making football more financially transparent. It was almost that the whole ecosystem was quite unfair on fans in a lot of ways because they'd often have the, the, the detachment they felt, the financial problems and organisational problems that clubs had because of the failures. 
left them feeling detached from their clubs in that way. Um, and you sort of, it seemed to me to be something about fairness in a sense that, that it was a very protected, um, fo football's a very, and sport in general, but football in particular is a very protected um, um, area of, of public life. And, and I mean, in, in the sense, for example, of the football creditors rule and stuff like hmm. that, that mean it, it, it sort of then needs to be a bit more responsible towards those people um, towards fans, if I just take that particular group of people. Um, and, and you've sort of ploughed this furrow for a long time, 10 years now. Um, yeah. And in that time, you've been, I think you were vice chair, but you certainly were chair for a couple of years of the Culture Media and Sports Select Committee. And, you know, alongside some other very high profile stuff around, which are, are totally separate from this, around Facebook and, and mm. some amazing pieces of work from your committee on stuff like that you continue to press this case now how much um is the um are the issues that you talk about um i don't want to say issues of fan engagement because it makes it sound a bit sort of fatuous but you know is a lot of this to do with that there's often a sort of bit of a broken link between clubs and fans that there's a there's not a that you know the relationship can often be a bit adversarial caused by crisis and actually the relationship being based on a dialogue and constant conversation and it just isn't really there enough or hasn't been historically how much of it is about that and that sort of you kind of hinted at it the sort of the old the old style of ownership and clubs being rooted just because that's how things were and now we're in a in a state of where you have to actually mindfully make your club much more open to people. Do you see my point? Yeah, exactly. So I think if you, if you take the sort of the complex business of football, this global phenomenon of a, of a sport, if you strip it back to its bare essentials, it really boils down to people playing the game and people watching other people play the game. Spectators and players, that, is, that ultimately is what football is. Um, and yet those are the two groups that have the least influence on how the game is run. The game is run by intermediaries. Yeah, uh, and if you think most of the, um, you know, and the intermediaries, you know, there's no, there's no doubt about it, going to a football match, <laughs> well, if we can go back to them, going to a football match, you know, in, the, in, the, uh, in this decade is on the whole a, a sort of a more pleasant experience than it was in the 1980s. So there's no doubt the intermediaries have done a great job in some ways in improving the infrastructure of football. Players are played, paid a lot more. Uh, so you, some, some people say, well, they've done very well out of it. But, but, but ultimately, the, the problems are that, you know, the, there is that you know, lack of representation, lack of anything that really binds what football is. Um, uh, and so it's left in the hands of these intermediaries. You know? And if you think of the problems that people might typically discuss, whether it's you know, a bad owner of a club you know, who's been attracted into football because they can think they can make a quick profit out of it, but have probably got very little particular interest in the club that they've acquired. Uh, whether it was the corruption scandals at FIFA, where you know, people realised they could make money uh, out of taking a slice of broadcasting contracts and sponsorship contracts and hospitality contracts. Um, and, and, and taking, taking money that should have gone to, into the development of the game around the world and sticking it in their private bank accounts. Um, you know, the anguish that uh, clubs feel, uh, the fans of clubs feel when their club, you know, goes out of business or is driven to the wall. 
and and there is for me that was that that's for me been something that's run through this all the way through which is that there is this disconnect you often have football bodies uh, administrators over which there's very little oversight of what they do which makes you know, corruption much easier um the you know the the fans don't often know what's going on in their club um it's difficult to blow the whistle on a problem that's about to come because they're completely disenfranchised there are some rules and restrictions now i mean the government have created rules making it uh, harder to sell a football ground and giving you know, establishing community right to buy to to club assets the fa council have intervened um you know to stop uh, name changes of clubs and, and things like that there's some recognition there are some things about the clubs that are you know part of our history and culture and should be protected and people can't just do whatever they like uh, with the club if they they take it on but there is that that lack of basic structure around the way football is run that gives the fans a voice i think gives players a voice um and in terms of their rights and their welfare and the lack of a governing body that really oversees that you know we've we've ended up because of this we've ended up with a structure where the football association doesn't run football in this country it's it's kind of responsible for the rules of the game and and as a member and a representation at fifa but the football in this country is run by the chairman of the clubs um, and the, chairman, the, the Premier League is the most powerful body in English football because it's, it's got controls most of the money. Football's unlike other sports in that way. In most other sports, the, governing, the national governing body is the most powerful body because that's the one with the most money. And football is not, it's the Premier League. So the chairman of the Premier League, the and the Premier, was, Premier League is 21 shareholders, 20 of whom are the chairman of the clubs. So the majority of, on the Premier League board is the most influential voice in football. In the Football League, the reason, which I think has become the Wild West of football now, particularly in the championship. Um, why is that as badly run as it is? Well, because the chairman want it that way. They don't want uh, a sort of controlling executive or scrutiny that would uh, see people sticking their nose into the financial affairs of the clubs, which might embarrass the current owners and make the clubs harder to sell on. Um, so you have this very loose and weak governing structure and, and really the Football League has become a private members club with 72 members. And again, the people that have no say in any of this are, um, are, are the fans. Um, and then we see, well, who, with, with coronavirus, who are the losers? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the, largely the players and the fans. You know? We've seen, as your listeners, your, this podcast will know, we've seen a huge number of players released that won't be re-signed. Um, this will see you know, potential threat to youth academies as a consequence of coronavirus shutdown and clubs running out of cash and probably some clubs you know, scrapping their academies altogether because they'll see it as an expense they can no longer afford. And we see fans not only locked out of the matchday experience, but fans ultimately being the ultimate losers with the threat of losing their club altogether. And I think if the game was run in a different way, representing the interests of the people who, to whom the game really belongs, it would look very different today. Uh, and, I, and I think, and that is the longer term reform you need to see. I mean, it's all very well to say, well, you know, how, how do you make that change happen? How do you achieve that? And ultimately, I think we need some sort of a body that has proper oversight of the decisions made in clubs, uh, that proper oversight of the welfare of players in the game at all levels. That should be the Football Association. But at the moment, the Football Association is too weak a body to take on that role. So it'll, ultimately, it may require uh, the government to get involved, which some I've advocated in the past, um, to try and find a way of restructuring football and creating a strong uh, governing body that would be, of course, independent of government. But it, if it required government legislation to, to, to set it up, then, that, that, then that's something that, that could be done. Um, or it could be that the financial crisis of football is so bad because of coronavirus that that will give people real leverage you know, to demand in return for financial bailouts, to demand proper fan representation in clubs, proper scrutiny of finances and so on. 
Now, you said that, rightly, that the, the relationship between fans and club owners is not always a healthy one. And in some ways, um, fans, you know, fans can, can, fan pressure can lead clubs to make the wrong decisions as well, over buying players or, or this, the size of their squads. But that's why I think actually a more transparent structure, better financial scrutiny, so that fans understand the financial situation of their club and owners understand the, the limits within which they can operate would make football more sustainable. I mean, ultimately, some clubs, you know, fans will want their clubs to be as high a division as possible and want them to win the cup and want them to play in the Premier League. But more than that, they want them to be there next year. Um, uh, and that's what we should be working to safeguard. So, um, I mean, that, that's, I was talking to someone from um, uh, a, um, I mean, actually, it's, the, the podcast will be out shortly anyway. Um, so it was Ben Kensel from, um, from Norwich City the other day. Um, and his podcast should be out next Tuesday um, on the uh, um, so that'd be the beginning of the second week of the second week of October. He he was saying that he felt from his perspective, this is um, this has sort of made um, people, I think, made everyone appreciate what these all these relationships are about. Um, and I'd, I'd include I'd add to that speaking to a lot of people running clubs and um, this, you know, at various levels um, in the club themselves, that 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 it's. I think it's perhaps begun to also made make fans appreciate. And I'd like, you know, like to touch on this as well. That that's that that there are human beings on the other side. <laughs> I know. I mean, this isn't going to be. I don't get me wrong. Whatever the whatever the arguments for particular forms of regulation or intervention are it's not going to be resolved by everyone being nice to each other. I get that mm. because this is a bigger issue than that, but there is a lot to be said, I think in football for um, transparency to extend to kind of opening up what these organizations are really like, because I think we all have a tendency at various times to think of these, these things as being, you know, comparing it to, to, um, thinking of a football club as a supermarket when in fact it's a corner shop it's mm. a relatively small concern it's just very vast to us and I, and and transparency i think extends to that that if you crack open what these organizations are it creates relief everywhere i think it means um the people in there don't perhaps feel quite the pressure they were after before they there's a much more human relationship bridge building going on if you like so it's not just, so I'm trying to kind of get to what the results of it would be and what the benefits would be, not simply, you know, of, of being, of there being a more open culture. And, and, and perhaps that's demonstrated, there are some clubs in, in the championship that, that, that are determined to operate in a different way, Norwich being one of them, for example, who, who try to plough this furrow. So there are examples out there, aren't there, Damien? I mean, it isn't all hopeless, as I, I, try, as I try to say there's loads of good stuff. I just don't, I don't always think either that people even are all aware of that. Maybe this crisis is forcing everyone to look at and reassess what, what football clubs are to us and what, um, and, and how they function and what they mean to us. Absolutely. And I think um, there's been a lot of good, I mean, I think you know, the Premier League gets a lot of criticism, but I would say um, the, um, the, the, I think it is now the sort of financial, demands they make on the clubs, the sort of the transparency they demand uh, of the clubs financially, um, 
I think it's better now that it's been in the past and much better than it is in the football league. I think it's created a more sustainable league and they've got the, the power to say to clubs coming up in particular that, you know, if you can't meet all of our standards, then we'll stop you coming up. You know, we're prepared to, we're big enough to do that. And that's, you know, that's, that's been good, but it has created this very unstable structure underneath where clubs, the, the, the advantage of being in the Premier League is so great that clubs will gamble almost anything to get there. And that's become very destabilizing. There's no doubt about that. And there would be, a, I think, a slight concern that would we not by design, not because anyone wants it, but that the, the football pyramid is, would known it ultimately becomes unsustainable. You've got a group of clubs that are in the Premier League, another group of 20 or so clubs that are big enough to be in the Premier League one day. Um, and then everything else is really, is too, is too separate, it's too small, it's too far away. And, and, and we've got to think about what does football outside the Premier League look like and how's that going to be structured? Now, I think the, um, the, for youth football, the elite player performance program, which the Premier League uh, oversees, at, um, which runs down the football pyramid, um, has been, I think, I'm sure, is the reason why we're seeing so many good young players coming through. Now, we're now starting to see the, the benefits of this massive investment in youth football. And it's also triggered this, you know, the, the establishment of all these academies um, at links to clubs has, I think, been great for grassroots football as well. It's created a, you know, interest and incentive to get people into the academies, a whole infrastructure of coaching and junior football that, that, that is supported by that as well. And I think, I think with the town of the football club, with the football league club, it's sort of, I think we should see it as almost like a, you know, it should be like the relationship in the, in the church, so between you've got a cathedral and you've got lots of parishes, that they all, they all do their own thing, but they're part of the same infrastructure. And the smaller, the smaller, the smaller um, churches feed into the centre. There's a kind of relationship. And I think a, a football club in a community should be a bit like that. So it'll be a club like Norwich where you've got a sense of, well, what is the relationship a grassroots team has to that club? You know? Or what's the relationship that schools football has to that club? Uh, and you know, how are they all connected? Um, and you know, what sort of community interest or involvement or engagement is there in the decisions the club makes and the way the club is run? Doesn't mean to say that the, you know, we, should have to, we should have to have a model of community ownership of clubs as they do in Germany. I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Um, although it does create a lot of stability uh, in the way the clubs are run. But there should be a strong level of community engagement and a sense for the owner of the clubs that you, know, you can, um, you know, whilst they're yours to run, um, you're only the custodians of them, you know, um, and, but and ultimately, the, you know, they have to be run in a way in which is sustainable and is beneficial to the community in the long run. But that's, I mean, in a sense, what you what you, what you're grasping at there, what you're what you're getting to there for me is there was a great big gap where um, the the localized owners with an interest in the local area, usually economic, around the hotel, the local business factory, mm. whatever it was, wherever they were. They had, by definition, an interest locally and couldn't screw it up, if we can put it that way. Hmm. And then there's a long period where that's not happened. And I get a feeling personally that um, that this this is a um, setting aside some of the you know and some of the genuinely good owners out there um, that this is there's an expectation that well you bought the club you should understand it, hmm. um, and then well you know, don't make excuses when it goes wrong. And of course, there are there are plenty of cases where it goes wrong because the owner needs to listen far, far more. But I, 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 it always worries me that there's, a, there's an assumption that, well, you should know how this is run. And I, part of the reason that I set, if I plug my own business, Fan Insights up, is because I don't think people do know how to do this stuff. Mm. I don't 
I think because it became because it came naturally for so many years, the fact that the world changed so much between the sort of ninety really I think between the mid nineteen seventies and and the late nineteen nineties and early two thousands and it changed rapidly at that pit, pit during that period, and lots of things were detached from what meaning in in lots of ways and we became very different people. We forgot how these things how we interacted with them and we assumed they would always be there and even when we lost the odd club like Aldershot or Maidstone United back in the day it was just oh well it was Aldershot and Maidstone that you know and in a sense people now say that about Macclesfield and Berry. oh well you know they've been in trouble for years but actually maybe maybe this you know and this this period forces us to remember that actually there wasn't I don't think there's really, I think organisations within football, people within football, organisations outside of it, maybe fan organisations, politicians like you, have been trying to tell people, it, um, have been trying to say, look, you need, you need to do this slightly differently. These are different institutions and, and saying it's a community club does mean something. You know, maybe part of the problem has been, there's just been a knowledge gap. People don't, mm. and, and actually the pace the game works at, and I say this a lot in, in, in the conversations I have with people is, the speed this game works at is just phenomenal. And the speed that with which you're supposed to try to make decisions is, it is almost like a frantic 90 minute match cut match every single week. So, you know, maybe I, some people might accuse me of having too much sympathy, but I've worked on both sides and I work on both sides. I work with fans, and I work with clubs, but maybe we need, you know, maybe a, a, a little bit more sympathy for, for people in the game and presenting more solutions that that don't necessarily, you know, um, that aren't necessarily about bashing bashing people on the head, but actually leading them to a to something that in the end will make this an easier business to work in. You'll actually find this a better club to run if you do it this way. Hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But but I think the, re the I think the trouble is I think the what club owners have realised is that. You know, there are some rules they have to operate within. Um, the Premier League, I think, can be more stringent on that because, you know, clubs come and go out of the Premier League. The big clubs are always there. But for the smaller clubs in the Premier League, well, you know, the Premier League can afford to flex its muscles and, and say how they want things done and how they want things run. In the Football League, where clubs are so distressed, often the Football League's main concern is just getting getting all 72 clubs through the through the season so that they can complete the competition, you know, in, and, and really allowing almost any excuse to be made to stop a club going into administration because it's messy. It causes lots of problems for the league. Um, the, they're being so grateful that someone's prepared to buy a club that someone's been trying to sell for ages or is in danger of going into administration that they will, you know, not look a gift horse in the mouth and really let almost anyone acquire a club. And then even when they do have objections, as they did with when Massimo Cellino bought Leeds, finding that actually they've got no legal authority at all to tell someone they can't acquire a club or be banned from the competition if they do, because really the owners and directors test is nothing more than the basic test that qualifies someone to be a company director. I mean, this mythical idea that there are kind of investigation teams, you know, working for the football league, going around the world, checking up on people. I mean, it's, you know, any checks that are done really are probably on Google to see whether someone's got a criminal conviction. That's sort of, and that's the limit of it. Um, and of course, even if, there was, even if the executive of, these, uh, of the Football League or the, you know, or the Football Association could say, well, um, we've got to change this, then they find that they can't because the people who decide what the rules are are the people who you know, are being investigated. You know, it's, the, it's the people who should be under investigation that appoint, appoint the investigators. And that's, uh, 
you know, and, and so there needs to be a reset, you know, uh, for the, you know, which will be for everyone's good in the long run, but is against the short-term interest of a very large number of club owners, which is, you know, as I said earlier on, you know, the, the, the two groups that make football what it is, the fans and the players, are unrepresented in these decisions, and the whole game is being run by a very small number of people that are, um, that are the owners of the clubs.